You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Therapeutic hypothermia is a relatively new treatment option for patients who suffer a cardiac arrest. How might cooling the body after such an event improve neurologic outcomes and increase survival rates? Our guest today is Dr. Michael Mooney, Director of Interventional Cardiology, Minneapolis Cardiology Associates at the Minneapolis Heart Institute, and Abbott Northwestern Hospital in Minnesota. Welcome, Dr. Mooney. Hey, thanks very much, Doctor. I appreciate the opportunity. So therapeutic hypothermia, now that means that chilling is good. Perhaps you better start by explaining what therapeutic hypothermia is and why it's such a good thing. Well, I think we're just doing what comes naturally to Minnesotans, and that is deal with the cold. It really is a therapy that's been around and led by the Europeans for, I would say, the last five years. It has striking and dramatic effects in protecting neurologic function. And so we've been very interested in applying this therapy in a very organized way. Talk to us about the process itself. What happens? The actual process of beginning therapeutic hypothermia, we start at the time of the cardiac arrest in the field. And only if the cardiac arrest is associated with a persistent coma on awakening. And so it requires that return of spontaneous circulation occur and that the patient be in a comatose state. We then start by applying ice packs in the field, and this requires working with the EMT service to make them comfortable with initiating a relatively new therapy. We then, by radio, put a call out for a coolant, uh, which is the name of our program, therapy. And when this page goes out for a coolant patient, we back at the central hospital prepare the nurses and the, the cath lab, if need be, uh, to continue therapy. Michael, just to be clear, this therapy is used for cardiac arrest of any etiology? Well, and the randomized studies looked initially only at ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation. We now have expanded the indications to include asystole and EMD. However, mm-hmm. if you take an all-comer approach and cool everyone with a arrest that is reasonably assumed to be on a cardiac basis and not sepsis and or intracranial catastrophe, once that's assured, then therapeutic hypothermia can be very, very effective and started. As mentioned, the randomized trials dealt predominantly with ventricular tachycardia and V-fib, but we've expanded in our all-comers registry to include asystole and EMD. When you do that, the quality of outcomes is directly related to what the initial rhythm is. Much, much better results are obtained with ventricular tachycardia and much poorer results with EMD or asystole. I like the road you're going down now. So those are a few factors that determine the success of therapeutic hypothermia. What are some others? We talked about the presenting arrhythmia, very, very important. The other thing that we found when we analyzed our data was that the earlier the cooling was initiated, the better the outcome. This is critically important because it requires that programs develop 
the connections with the EMS service to begin therapy in the field. If you delay therapy by an hour, by therapy I mean initiation of therapeutic hypothermia, the relative risk of death increases by 25 to 29%, which is a very significant number. So that's another important determinant of outcomes. One of the things that I'm spending a fair amount of time doing is talking to my cardiology colleagues and urging them to begin therapeutic hypothermia before the patient goes to the cath lab or before any number of other treatments delay therapeutic hypothermia. And it requires you know, a significant process and education to get acceptance. As you were describing the relationship between the delay in instituting therapy, the onset of the arrest or the finding a patient and uh, instituting therapy, I was thinking about the parallels within door-to-balloon world. And then you went on to describe how this new initiative, which is really sort of about door or seen to brain tissue survival, how that's going to come into direct conflict with Dord Bloom, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you've really hit on the central issues. Yes, they are potentially in conflict with that. We have practiced within the cath lab, and we now can apply the pads for therapeutic hypothermia within six minutes. And so it's uh, some delay, but not a huge one. More importantly is dealing with the issue of outcomes. So if you have a patient that has a death rate that's almost 50%, which is true for this population, including taking the patient to the cath lab, you know that your numbers in terms of quality outcome measures will be importantly affected. And right now, the risk-adjusted algorithms don't successfully adjust for that. And so we're working with the ACC and AHA to get them to look at these patients as very different because we don't want doctors to be worried about their outcomes and not offer therapy to patients. So it's not only door to balloon, it's also the other endpoint of cardiovascular death that is very much in the eyes of the cardiologist an important issue. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, and our guest today is Dr. Michael Mooney, Director of Interventional Cardiology, Minneapolis Cardiology Associates at the Minneapolis Heart Institute and Abbott Northwestern Hospital in Minnesota. We're discussing therapeutic hypothermia for cardiac arrest. Can you give us a peek, Michael, into some of your outcomes? And you're tracking, you said a registry, so you're tracking all patients who receive this treatment. Absolutely. As a paradox, the patients who do the best are those that suffer a cardiac arrest as a result of an acute MI. And their outcomes in our centers, and mind you now, we transport patients to up to 200 miles away as a part of our level one system. Uh, the outcomes for the acute MI patients are really very, very good. And if we use the original HACA criteria for inclusion and exclusion, the survival rate is 76%. On the other hand, if we just look at the EMD asystole group, their survival there is 27%. So uh, much better than historical controls where low single digits were the norm for the EMD group, but still, you know, markedly different than the acute MI. The message, I think, Dr. Wright, in that is to incorporate therapeutic hypothermia in a level one system or an acute MI STEMI transfer program because that's where the patients are. 
and that's where the best outcomes are associated. And putting a cardiologist to give leadership to this issue of resuscitation and acute MI treatments for the cardiac arrest patients is, is really only a good thing. And maybe, in a way, the Door to Balloon initiative will have paved the way for the types of conversations that take place. A lot of the constituencies are the same, the emergency room doctors, the EMTs, the transport people within a hospital, and, of course, the cath lab team. Boy, I couldn't say that better. And that's why the cardiologist has a particular influence in this arena because we are already are dealing with so many of the contributing elements. And, and so for us to pull it together and say, you know, we'd like therapeutic hypothermia as a part of our acute MI programs and we'll set up the program, the uh, protocols and algorithms and we'll supervise the data collection and, and quality outcomes. It's not only that, it's also when the patient gets to the hospital, the cardiologist knows all of the critical care doctors and can help shepherd the continued care requirements throughout the hospitalization. So it's a particularly appealing and compelling paradigm from my perspective. Oh, boy, I'll say, and very team-intensive, as you indicated. How about the dark side of therapeutic hypothermia? What side effects or complications would you want to share with our listeners? Mild therapeutic hypothermia is what we use, and it's only 4 degrees Celsius. So we don't have a lot of the arrhythmias and cardiac standstill and infection problems that therapeutic hypothermia in other settings has had. Having said that, there is a slight increase in the pneumonias, but not statistically important, associated with therapeutic uh, hypothermia. One of the things that's really important is that the doctors and nurses get familiar with this unique paradigm. It's difficult to measure cardiac outputs. You need to learn the science and the technique of therapeutic hypothermia as it applies to the critical care environment so that proper assessments are made. The patients become bradycardic. This is generally well tolerated and expected. So there's many pieces to learn how not to react in a standard manner to a patient who's hypothermic and apply the same rules as though the patient were normal thermic. So the critical care elements are really important to learn, and I think that's where most of us need to spend time to really develop an accomplished program. Right, help push these professionals up a bit on the learning curve as you're changing the way we treat people. Oh, that's absolutely right. In fact, the University of Pennsylvania has developed an algorithm for the treatment of cardiogenic shock a hemodynamics in the setting of therapeutic hypothermia. And it's a, you know, a unique algorithm and there's many of those elements to learn. The reason to do it though is we tend to look at this as the Lazarus treatment. There are patients that would never have survived before without this treatment that miraculously survive and it's the quality of survival that generates the most excitement because these are patients that function at a very high level. They are not the walking wounded and that a couple of successes and it happens to every program we've helped start, those couple of successes really help inspire teamwork and the continued support of the program. Oh, and I can imagine the stories that could come out of the successful use of this treatment are the kind of things you see that hospitals publish uh, to share with their community. It's a source of community pride that their hospital has gone to the extent to train their staff and acquire the technology, put it into use. This is uh, good stuff. (laughs) 
Yes, especially in the rural communities where mm-hmm. patients are not anonymous and everyone was aware that a, a cardiac arrest occurred and to have that patient come back into the community as a, a meaningful participant, it really is noticed and it creates a lot of excitement and pride. What you're describing now may well be sufficient to overcome what I'm sure is another hurdle, and that is the investment by hospitals in the treatment and the chain of command, the education that's necessary. Are you getting pushback from hospitals as they decide how to spend their money? Well, you know, it's interesting. We thought we would see more. I think the hospitals have recognized that they already are spending quite a bit on these patients. If we can drop the amount of time that they're in the intensive care unit and then subsequently drop the uh, nursing home time and rehab needs, we may really be helping them. I don't think we're prepared to say that we know for sure that this is a cost-saving approach, but it sure has that opportunity. It's hard to imagine that uh, the cost of the machine, which is only between forty and $50,000, would be a prohibitive cost, especially if it's a significant adjunct in the ICU management of these patients. We have not seen a lot of pushback on this. I think now that it's part of the ACC and AHA guidelines, people feel like it's their obligation to be doing this, and the hospital uh, administrators seem to be recognizing this. We've been talking with Dr. Michael Mooney about therapeutic hypothermia for cardiac arrest. Dr. Mooney, thank you for being our guest today. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Wright. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.